Dear Asian Girl, for Asian Girls, by Asian Girls. Hi guys, welcome to season five of Dear Asian Girl. Um, we are so excited. We have a very special guest today and personally I read her book so I'm very, very excited to have a conversation with her. But um, before we get started, my name is Genesis. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I am currently in Chicago, Illinois, but sometimes I go to school in Washington, D.C. for a semester. Yeah, um, we have a very special new host, new co-host. If she want to introduce herself, this is actually like her very first episode recording with us for Dear Asian Girl. So um, introduce yourself, introduce yourself to the listeners. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm so honored. This has been very scary and also exciting. Uh, my name is Abigail Lee, or just Abby. Currently, I am in Michigan, but my home is in Washington. Uh, and I'm so honored to be here with one a wonderful guest and a wonderful ghost. Overusing the word, but it's true to my heart. So thank you. <laughs> Yeah, so for our listeners that don't know, or if it's just your first episode ever listening to Dear Asian Girl, Dear Asian Girl is a podcast where we highlight and support Asian girls everywhere. We talk about topics such as like intersectionality, the model minority myth, um, being in just an Asian girl living in America and those experiences, adoption processes, and et cetera, like so many topics that pertain to Asian girls everywhere. Today, we have a very special guest. It is Patricia Park. Um, her essays have kind of been featured in the New Yorker, the New York Times. She has a really, really good book called Rejane. Um, we're going to dive into that book later. But Patricia Park, did you want to give like a brief introduction about yourself? Hi, all. I'm Patricia Park. Um, I'm thrilled to be on. Thank you, Genesis and Abigail, for having me. I'm a born and raised in Queens, a Korean American. Um, I'm a novelist. My first book is called Rejane. It's a kind of a modern day retelling of Jane Eyre. So I think we're going to get into that. I write essays. I'm a professor of creative writing at American University, and I'm I'm into um, I'm into telling the stories that we haven't heard before. Thank you so much. Uh, and we love reading the stories I haven't been told before. <laughs> so um, basically our topic is depiction of romance within the Asian community. And just for like a preference, this is like, there's so much like things that we could like uncover on a wrap and like, mm. we do not have enough time for a 40 minute <laughs> episode to be talking about the entire Asian community and in general. So basically what I'm starting to say is that like, these are our own experiences and our own point of views. And yeah, so we're kind of going to be talking about like familial love, how Asian romance is depicted in books, movies, and stereotypes that are perpetrated because of this depiction of romance. As Patricia Park mentioned before, she has wrote a book called Rejane. And um, the Rejane, basically what that book is about, if Patricia Park wants to add anything else, it's about Jane Rhee and she had grown up in like Flushing's New York. And it's basically kind of like a retelling of Jane Eyre. And she decides that she's going to, I think, babysit in the Marley's family, et cetera. And she ends up meeting Ed Farley. And it kind of goes on from there and like the relationship between them. And it also talks about um, her relationship with her uncle as well and navigating through that relationship. So if you want to add anything else. No, I, I th thank you for repeating back my story to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming in waves. Um, so one thing to note that is uh, is that Rejane, my novel, is um, 
its DNA comes from Charlotte Bronte's canonical Victorian work, Jane Eyre. So a lot of the story structure, kind of the inspiration for the characters and their relationships comes from that original, that original text. So uh, just to look at the relationship between my Jane, Jane Re, um, Re is her last name and it also is a kind of a retelling of Jane Eyre. So the, the title is functioning in a few ways. You know, Asian last names come first, second names come, first names come it. second. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, she was, uh, my Jane was a, is a mixed race Korean orphan uh, who is uh, born in Korea, but sent to live with her American uncle, uh, her uncle Sang, who lives, who runs a grocery uh, in in Queens, in Flushing. And their kind of a, their relationship made, it came from a place of, with the original Jane Eyre, and I'm wondering if there are any airheads out there, fellow Jane Eyreheads. <laughs> um, you are my people, but if, if you haven't read it, that's fine too. Um, the book kind of stands for itself. But in the original Jane Eyre, Jane's uncle, who was kind of the only person I think that really loved her, he died. Um, so he was, she was raised by his wife. And that wife was like, you are a burden, Jane Eyre, get out of my face. So in my retelling, I kind of wondered what would happen if Uncle Reed had lived. And so I created this character of Uncle Sang. He is a typical Southern Korean, Southern South Korean Busan man. There's an expression that men from Busan are um, <laughs> which means that they are like very stoic of a few words and they don't express their love. And I think this is kind of the archetype that we have of the uh, whether it's like the recalcitrant or the emotionally unavailable, unemotive, middle-aged Ameri- uh, Asian man, right? So Uncle Sang may start off with that archetype and he and Jane have a kind of a fraught relationship where Jane feels this is just a relationship of responsibility and duty, but not really that like touchy-feely American kind of love. And then it, it progresses in, in other ways, which I'm, I'm happy to share, um, you know, as, as we continue this conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm absolutely obsessed with the focus of having, of telling a Korean, like a Korean story, um, Korean American story within this period. Like, I love how you chose that specific period because, you know, as a Korean American, I've had experiences where I'm like, I feel like my, the, the way that sometimes my community acts or the cultures around it it does kind of feel like the Victorian era. I have, I've made a joke with my friend before about how some of the practices, um, especially for maybe Koreans who grew up in like religious environments, I'm like, this feels very Victorian, <laughs> um, but in a very comedic way. And so I love the way that you take this story, uh, this iconic story and retell it in a way that's much needed for our current society. So I'd love to hear more just about everything you're talking about. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, it's no, I think it's no coincidence that you're picking up on those parallels because part of the inspiration of me rewriting Jane Eyre, which is really kind of audacious, right? Like what right do I have as like this ethnic girl, you know, taking on this canonical work. But um, uh, both, I would say the, especially the Korean American, the immigrant community, in America, the kind of small pockets of immigrant enclaves has a lot in common uh, with the Victorian era 200 mm-hmm. years before that, right? This kind of repression, this idea that there are these social codes that everybody should know. Mm-hmm. Um, in Korean, I, I feel like we're governed by this, this sense of nunchi, this idea that you should know a kind of a social sense that's unspoken, but everyone is supposed to know the rules and everyone is supposed to know their place. And um, it's kind of a conservative community and I think there are so many parallels there. So I wanted to see um, that that was part of the inspiration of seeing, hey, you know, what would it be like to take the world that I knew growing up in Queens 
in this Korean community and setting it in a Victorian English one and, and seeing how all those parallels are. Mm-hmm. Well, it's truly a lovely fit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I hope more people have the same audacity or I hope you just continue it because I could eat it up just over and over. I was waiting for you to say noon cheese. I was like, that 100% is something. Yeah. So I can personally relate to that. And even though I'm not Korean American, I am Filipino American. And the way that like Asian love is shown throughout family is so different from like American culture and the way that like we present love. So like the way my mom, she doesn't say like, I love you. She says, here's like a good (laughs) Filipino dish that you are going to eat that night. And it's like a different type of love language. And I like how you show that throughout the book. Have you ever had like those personal experiences growing up? Uh, You know, I wanted to, I wanted to show and be true to a lot of the relationships that I saw in our community. And yeah, all my white American friends, like they and their parents would be like, I love you, mom. I love you, daughter, son. And I'm like staring enviously, you know, (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) I felt creepy. Like I was almost at the window looking into what true, in quotes, American, quotes, life was like. My parents, we never said we loved each other. We never hugged. We never kissed. We never showed physical or even verbal displays of love. But Genesis, like your, like your mom, you know, my parents would, it would be in their, the way that they would present food or a food accompanied by a lecture. You know, whenever I got sick, my mom would spend hours brewing this disgusting black sludge. I don't even know what's in it. There's like some like ginseng, some ginger. It was like mugwort root that she picked out of the park, looking like probably a homeless woman to all the scandalized white people. And she would brew this thing down. It smelled horrible. And she wouldn't even give it, give the hot mug of it to me in a loving way. She would be like, drink this like it's your filial duty to put it down your throat. But she put in all that effort because she wanted what was most, most healthy for, for me, for us. Um, and similarly in Ray Jane, there are moments like that where this unemotive uncle saying, um, in one instance, he shows up at the airport. Um, Jane at last minute um, has to fly to Korea because of a, a death in the family. And she's just completely disoriented. She's in the literal motherland, but cannot even navigate her way from like one gate to the next. And here uncle Sheng shows up an act of love, right? But it's just like, he's just kind of shouting at her. And he's like, what are you doing? You know, where's your, you know, where's your luggage, your suitcase? She could never do any right. But it is through that action. And I think with a lot of Asian, um, Asian parents, Asian immigrant parents, they don't have the language, the literal verbal language. So they do things through their actions. And so much of the novel is, is Jane, I think, misinterpreting Uncle Sang's actions. And as the story goes, as much of as it is a, you know, a rewrite of the kind of great Byronic romance of Rochester and Jane, yada, yada. It's also a story of an uncle and a, and a niece, a kind of a filial and paternal love that, that emerges in a non-creepy way, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, I really related to like how she misinterpreted her, like her uncle's like love through her actions. Cause like, back then like growing up in like a predominantly white like area I would see like how moms and dads that are white like would react to their like to their kids and like the way that they like showed their love and I thought that wasn't that was the love that I thought should have been 
compared to like my parents just like offering me like food or giving me lectures. I didn't see that as a different type of love language and a different type of way of receiving love and giving love. And I always was, oh, they just don't like me. They hate me. I was like only 15. And I had like this rebellious age where I was like, no, like there's no way that they love me in that way. It's not like what I want love to be like, but in reality, that's what the love that they could give me. And like, that's all they can give me. And I think that's really special, you know? So um, another question that I kind of had for you was kind of diving into why you kind of wrote it in the storyline of Jane Eyre. How do you depict romance within the Asian culture because you wrote that storyline of Jane Eyre? So I, when I first read Jane Eyre, I was 12 and I was really struck that there was a story of the ultimate underdog. Jane Eyre self-describes as poor, obscure, plain and little. I mean, this is literally a quote from the original Jane Eyre. And she was often described or she was put down a lot for not being pretty, not being of the gentry. She was continually scapegoated. And for once, we're like seeing somebody who is such a departure from these beautiful Disney heroines that I grew up with. She's even a departure from the beautiful gentry, you know, gentle women of Jane Austen's landscape. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, there are real working class issues, the the Brontes collective work, I think, because I connected more with the coming of age story of the original Jane Eyre. That's what I set out to write. And to be honest, I, <laughs> I kind of came to learn a little bit after the fact that um, for some Jane Eyre is a great romance, the original Jane Eyre. Um, for me, it was like, oh, yeah, there was romance on the side. But the real story was Jane Eyre, like being a a badass Victorian woman, you know, girl to woman. And she's not only surviving, but she's thriving. In the original, um, the character of Mr. Rochester, uh, he is he is Jane Eyre's boss. So he's like 20 years older than she is. He's this rich dude who like has this random French little girl in his house. And he's like, you, Jane, you will be the governess to this girl. Um, and then um, they fall in love on their wedding day. Uh, they're about to say I do and then their wedding gets interrupted and it's like psych oh yeah Rochester already had a wife uh, locked up in the attic yeah I forgot to tell you so that's that was kind of my take my that was my you know child of modern day 12 year old kind of reading of that novel and I'm like this kind of sucks like it's almost it's very predatory their relationship they they meet on equal footing they have a natural kind of repartee and they they share a kind of a sarcastic sense of humor but when you look at the circumstances it it's very fraught um so I wrote Rejane pre Me Too just right before Me Too right and I think that um my Jane has um she so she becomes a nanny to a Brooklyn family um they're academics and the husband is this guy named Ed Farley and they Ed and 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 Jane start to develop a kind of a friendship in in the early pages and they bond. They bond over being outer borough kids. Uh, they grew up, Jane grew up in Queens. Ed grew up in um, Brooklyn. They're each mixed race. I mean, Ed is half Irish, half Italian, but doesn't look like what he is. Jane is half Korean, half white, doesn't look like what she is, isn't accepted by their respective communities. So they kind of share this blue collar ethos. And, and for the first time, somebody is showing Jane attention and affection. And Jane is somebody who's really starved for love. In her Korean community, being mixed race, and this is set a little bit in the past, so the, the ideas about mixed race-isms um, or homogeneity in, in the community have changed. They've changed for the better. But at the time that Jane was growing up, she always felt like the other. So here you have this guy 
who is, you know, who is polished, who is educated, who is kind of shining a light on you and you feel special for one. And I think, I think that's kind of a takeaway for so many Asian girls, if I can, if I can speak on behalf of all of us, right? That we're just grateful when someone kind of pays attention to us or makes us feel less marginalized when we've spent our whole lives feeling marginalized. And what's even lonelier is that, okay, all right, we're used to the rest of America marginalizing us, but our own community that's supposed to welcome us also makes us feel marginalized. That lonely space of minorities within minorities is something I wanna give voice to. And that's how Jane starts to fall for Ed Farley. Um, and he, for her, I think, he, well, he, you know, he, she makes him feel special and he makes her feel special as well. Wow, I could, I, first of all, I love the way that you talk about your characters that you've written because there's such a richness and a depth to it where I'm like, someone could tell me that's like, oh, that's your aunt, by the way. Or someone could be like, oh, that's like Auntie Jane. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Like, <laughs> uh, and I, I love that. And I especially love, I think it's important as we're talking about romance, I especially love that you touched on loneliness because that kind of specific loneliness, I was like, wow, you really put that into words because that's <laughs> such a real thing. And, you know, like I said, I don't want to get too much of just focusing on the Korean American experience, but it's, first of all, wonderful to hear other people talk about it a little bit more plainly is just like the fact like when that loneliness can occur even if it's for silly like silly things like even um it's just so important that I think we recognize that and I do like how you still manage to balance out the kind of very very problematic nature of the original um Jane Eyre romance um and you don't necessarily bring that into your retelling but rather you still like I love that you still apply that nuance there because, you know, love through loneliness is like something very special, but also it could be discussed. Like, what does it mean a love that is begotten through a life of like that kind of ultimate loneliness, uh, that kind of experience with it? Um, I don't know if that really made sense. I'm more of just really just off the top of my head because I really got distracted there by like the the true feeling of it. Oh my gosh. Um, I have a, another just short question actually though. Um, are there any other characters that really spoke to you when you were a child? Kind of things like other kind of figures that maybe stood out as when you were 12 or like literary or like just fictional in general. You know, how messed up is this? I'm completely drawing a blank. And I think <laughs> I, I'm going to blame the system on that because I grew up reading the Babysitter's Club. Okay, I guess you have, you know, there there was um, um, some diversity of cast there, but I was super into the Sweet Valley Twins series. You know, here, there you have two beautiful Californian blonde hair, blue eyed, <laughs> perfect size six figure, you know, um, girls, all American girls. One had the brains and one had the popularity, but oh, actually they were both popular. I read these books. I devour them every time a new series came out. And then I hated myself, you know? So sometimes I would hate read these books because I'm like, what's going to happen next? Is like Todd going to, you know, is he going to like take Elizabeth on a date? And then I'm like, this sucks because my life is nothing like this. And my life will never be like this. Like my story does not deserve to be on a page. And we've heard this a lot, right? From BIPOC writers talking about this kind of loneliness the loneliness of our of our literary landscapes growing up or the barrenness, <laughs> I suppose. Um, so I think that's why I connected so hard with Jane Eyre because I'm like, oh snap, this girl doesn't have it all. 
she's not like oh just like dust off a little bit of you know diamond in the rough like dust it off a little bit and then bam she like goes to the prom and like gets the hottest guy to ask her out um it, it wasn't that way this was she was systematically like put in a lower place and then to kind of add insult to injury she was not beautiful in a society where women are deemed by their physical worth um so i i think it's not unintentional that i don't have a good answer for you abigail because i think at that time i did not have a lot of other literary heroines to look to you know the fact is though that's it's that's the truth and that's important that it's known if i like i think i've if I were to ask like other people, like even as we're getting older and there's so much like way more representation has appeared in the media, especially for like uh, our generation, like Gen Z. Uh, but even then, like, I think we're only starting to come out of it because if I try to think about, like when I think if I was a child, um, like books that I read, like there was the Molly Moon series. It was like the, this British book about like this girl who's hypnotized, like hypnotizes people. The entire time I had been imagining the protagonist as South Asian. And I didn't realize until like the movie make of it, that I was just like a normal white British girl. And it's like, oh, hmm, my bad. <laughs> um, but you know, um, thank you for making the landscape a little bit more richer and a little bit more representation. You know, I could never, if I could thank every, Asian author who was doing that I would I'd send them a little envelope and like a little just heart on it (laughs) thank you so much that that means so much to me Mm -hmm. yeah I remember when reading through the book I found like that feeling of loneliness and that feeling of like wanting to grasp at any attention that I get even if it's potentially negative towards me in the end was something that was like really prevalent to me as an Asian girl because you know, we don't really cater to those Eurocentric beauty standards. And as a result, like men or like boys growing up, you were never really like, you know, like the, the girl that like everyone wants to see. And I totally get how, that's why I resonated with Rejane so much is just like, she clung on to like Ed Farley in that way, in that sense. And like, she needed him at that time. And, um, but also like you did handle like the very problematic, parts of Jane Eyre towards the end in terms of that romance and like that awful power dynamic like it I guess because like it related to me more because like it was an Asian character it was an Asian character going through like borderline fetishization and etc and that's something like I feel like Asian girls can really relate to and it's very like I guess like fantasizing it's really like real life and how relationships can be and I, yeah I just I really appreciated that in your book thank you yeah it's um you know the older man younger woman dynamic is so problematic but it's also so cliched right um I was recently reading an article about it the, the you know this is grossly generalizing but it was saying that men want to feel validated right they want um this article I was reading was about men who were divorced from women their own age and then um, sought younger women. And why? Well, yeah, it's such an archetype. It's so cliche. I'm like, oh, aren't we over this already? But um, that there's something about um, maybe the construction of malehood where that validation from a younger admiring, literally looking up to you kind of a female figure is very validating for the male experience. So we have that relationship happening between Jane Ree and Ed Farley. And then added to that is that Jane is, is an Asian female. And as much as Ed, you know, Ed would never, I would never self-identify as having an Asian fetish, but he grew up in America where 
we were, you know, the Asian female was fetishized. It's weird because we're not the, the Californian dream girls. We're kind of niche, but we're also a specific, like we serve a specific fetish role and, and one that is of subservience, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one that is often transactional. I mean, as we awfully saw with the Georgia shootings. So uh, he consumed that culture and um, his views of Asian women, fortunately or unfortunately, were shaped by our society. Yeah, um, I'm really glad you're talking about it because you know, even even if you feel like it's generalization, it's still life. Um, and I think it's important to note that this um, it's it affects this fetishization that exists for uh, an Asian woman it affects the ways in which we're capable of love because then it's like Asian women have to pay a price for something they didn't ask for and it affects the ways in which we experience love and it really enforces that loneliness because like the one might keep on going back to because instead of having to take someone's attraction face forward there has to be another level of does this guy have an Asian fetish like and it's and it's awful because it's like um I'm like I know white girls don't have to think about this but it's like if an if a guy approaches me, is he approaching me for me? Or is he approaching me for the idea of what I can provide? Um, And it's just awful. And so kind of going off on that and diving into more like part two of like this segment is depictions of romance in like books, TV, films, and more. And we already kind of are diving into like fetishization and talking about that. And um, you, as being an author, kind of have like that experience and like publishing a novel and how that kind of relates to being an Asian author. So um, being an author and maybe potentially reading like other authors as well, especially like Asian authors, have you seen a shift in romance depicted for Asians in literature? And what would you like to see in the future? Um, if so, like, what is that change? Is there more Asian authors, more Asian storylines, et cetera? I think we're in an exciting time right now. There are more of us, more of us writing all kinds of stories, um, whether it's a coming of age story or a romance or a thriller or a sci-fi um, work. Um, so if there are more of us, then we're telling all of our stories and not just one kind of collective so that we can have the quote unquote chick lick romance novel but we could also have a different kind of a romance we can have lgbtq plus stories we don't have to have just this version of the asian female and the white dude um older white dude storyline you know i would love to see that translated more on in tv i mean there are definitely conversations about it and i loved that um that meme from a while back where it was like John Cho, leading man for everything, you know, whether it was 007 or whatnot. I mean, God, like, check out the cheekbones on on, on that actor, you know. Um, I, I love that. I, I'm I'm curious what my Asian male, uh, Asian American male uh, artist colleagues are saying. You know that they are, especially the the actors who are in Hollywood and and kind of fighting this this idea of Asian male depiction in Hollywood and in the media. That it's actually something very somewhat I, I, ignorantly new to me. I think because I grew up in Queens and because I grew up with a lot of um, a lot of Asians. I mean, all the guys I had crushes on were Asian, and they were always unrequited. Um, I mean, I was like a pretty, I was a very nerdy um, and very um, 
it was not considered attractive by by Asian standards, by Asian female standards, which are so particular. Um, I mean, I remember one guy telling me like, oh, you're built like a tank. I'm like, yeah, thanks. And another guy calling me Chia Pet because I have wavy hair, you know? Uh, I'm like, I can't help that I'm five foot five, which is considered huge in, at least in, in you know, when I was growing up, um, all, I was like, I towered over all the other females, five foot five, you know, five foot six. Um, so for me, it's actually very interesting. And um, Asian men were this kind of, for me, a sought after thing. And I never felt um, it was reciprocated. So it was kind of, I don't want to say it's odd, but it's maybe I, I'm now learning that, oh, there's this feeling that the, the way that um, um, at least American media depictions have been of Asian males. And, and once I've opened my eyes to that, then you see it, you know? Um, so that's something I would love to see more of, but, but we are starting to see it, right? And I, I find that really heartening. You're so right about like Asian men being portrayed in like media. Cause for example, like we were doing a little bit of research on it, but for example, like most of the time in like movies, films, books, like prior back to like a long time ago, is that they were like unable to create like this romance relationship or just like be unappealing to the woman in that story, in that storyline where they were like seen as ugly or they had like certain features that like just weren't like prevalent or like fit into that beauty standard at the time in which was like romantic enough to be. And we do see kind of that shift. Like for example, like Crazy Rich Asians, Henry Golding in that book, in that, yes. Mm -hmm. And I like that we are having that representation, but you're right about how we don't have like Asian males as kind of like being like the main character in a romance story and how that could be kind of like a good storyline and like debunking all these stereotypes that were like prevalent in like old Hollywood and etc. Yeah, like in 16 Candles, why couldn't Molly Ringwald fall for B.D. Wong's character? Like why could that romance not not happen? But he was like a comic relief character, you know, um, brought on stage so that you laugh at, not laugh with. Um, and you know, that, that feels a bit punching down. So I'm glad that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And in so many ways, I think that in the past, as we've been saying, just in all ways in the romance category, Asians are Asian men and Asian women are just lacked their stripped of their humanity, uh, to be viewed with full roundness to them. Cause you know, as we have women who are then like overly sexualized, uh, to the point of lacking, a, you know, even a character or really a meaning other than to be uh, gawked at, essentially, or to be used, essentially, as, uh, I'm sorry to sound a bit brash, but like a sex doll, um, versus uh, Asian men who are desexualized to the point of losing any sense of, like, roundness and wholeness to them, to be viewed as, like, even, like, with a sense of respect. And like you said about TV, I, I do hope there's more representation, too, as we're going up because we're seeing it a lot like we said with like crazy rich asians um i believe the sex life of college girls too uh, i haven't watched it but i have a friend who really likes it um of course to all the to all the boys i ever loved but you know i will say like would be cool if like could we get like an asian a24 type film i, I know we have the yeah. farewell but like um for all maybe the Asians who don't have a to all the boys I love before <laughs> you know, like growing up it would be so nice to see it um but yeah I was talking with a um a tv director um who's um we're talking about a a project together and 
she was just very excited by, well, by my stories, by our community's stories, however you define our community, and um, and the the future and the hope for where Hollywood is going. Um, you know, she she pointed to a number of of networks where women are in charge, and um, you know, she said that's one way where we can get stories. So stories of female sexual subjectivity. Right now, we're talking about uh, regardless of race who's the one having agency over their romance? Is it going to be an Asian female, but as rendered through the eyes of some, some dude, white or otherwise? Um, and, and so I think this, I think that's something also that we want to think about um, in terms of how, how um, it's depicted. Funny, just to harken back a little earlier to what we were talking about. Um, oh, you know, when you date people, you're like, oh, do I have to do this double check? Like, it's going to be a dude with an Asian fetish. And I had these conversations with my female friends, especially when we were all online dating or like, yeah, but you know, you kind of get the whiff that they are this way. Um, and I, I, you know, I've definitely met men who are like, oh yeah, you're my third or you're, you know, yeah, you're actually, yeah, you're, you're taller than the other ones I've had or whatever, as if we're, they're taking inventory. Right. Um, and when I was, when I was younger, I remember I was like once in the eighth grade and I was just, I was wearing like a baggy t-shirt and jeans, just walking down the street, like walking down Northern Boulevard. And then this man like pulls up forties or so and like made a comment to me, uh, a sexualized comment and then drove off. Um, and uh, you know what's really messed up? Well, for one that, okay, well, what was I like 14 maybe if even that that whole kind of dynamic even happened, but two, in a really weird way, like I, something in my body told me I should be flattered because at least somebody is paying attention to you. And as I got older, Asian women became less of this realm of like vet, you know, Vietnam or Korean war vet who came back and developed a taste for the yellow, you know, developed like a taste for, for the yellow ladies. Um, and then it became like the random hipster dude you know, who serves your coffee or I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I have all kinds of fraught feelings and I don't mean to generalize, but um, that, I think that's why it's important that we're taking responsibility for our own stories, right? So that um, it, it's not just that we become the objects of, of desire, but we are the ones who are actively desiring. 100%. And I think that also puts in responsibility for us where we put our wants and desires, which is an important thing for anyone who is seeking love or seeking to just interact with the world as a whole. And, you know, you talked to, you touched about this very briefly about your story about what happened when you were 14. Uh, but it's this really weird dynamic, I think, growing up when you're Asian and then you grow up thinking that uh, and feeling that you're ugly, like, you know, um, I'm five six, so that five that comment, I was like, yeah, you and my little like my little five two like shardy like friends. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I feel like a giant like Sailor Moon. Yeah, my favorite one was Sailor Jupiter because I was like, she's just like me. I'm like, oh. and five six. I'm like, I've met like I have friends who are now like five ten, but and I'm like, and I'm like, wait, I thought being tall was my thing. Um, yeah. Anyways, like it's this weird feeling to go so rapidly depending on the worlds you are entering and like leaving and entering from someone who is viewed as ugly to then viewed as someone who is sexy but neither one feels like it really fills you with anything with any kind of like warmth and it's it's very cold yeah and I think that's why it's like 
so important to have representation on off camera just in the mere fact that like it could go so many different ways in terms of representation for like the asian community and like especially younger asian girls um for example like it like back then when there wasn't that much representation it really inherently affected like who i was today and how i viewed myself and my self-esteem and like not being represented enough on screen made me realize like am I just like the only one like am I the only like I generally thought as a kid because I was surrounded by all these white people but like there's the opposite end of the spectrum in which we're trying to like achieve and trying to do in which like there is like Asian representation behind the screen and there is Asian representation on the screen and it's depicted and romance is depicted in a way that's like just real life and just us being humans and not like seen as an object or not seen as kind of like a stereotype and etc and I think we need to lean into that more and like realize that like that's that's kind of like what the future we're kind of progressing towards and so I think that was like all the questions we had for you pretty much um thank you so much for like talking with us and talking about like familial love and what that is represented in literature talking a lot about like fetishization a little bit of like Jane Eyre and how that kind of relates to being an Asian woman and I didn't even like think of that connection until like we had this conversation like a deep conversation about that and I thought that was really incredible because I read that book but now it makes me like want to read it again and like how, <laughs> like <laughs> how it's related to being an Asian girl and then just overall just talking about like films and movies so do you have any like last words or like last piece of advice you can give to like the Asian girls listening out here? Own yourself. You know, you're going to have so many people telling you what you should be, who you should be, what you should look like, who you should like, who should like you. And yeah, for me, I had to, I was like, I had to do the Goldilocks strategy, like too much, too little, finding the right middle. Um, and I, I made a lot of mistakes on my path. Um, in my, in my writing, I, I write and I hope that maybe if someone can learn from my fuck-ups, <laughs> forgive my language, um, then all the better. Shorthand off of my horrible experiences <laughs> so that you may have a happier and less lonely life. Um, yeah, and I, I talk a little bit about this. I've got a new YA novel coming out next year. It's called Imposter Syndrome and Other Confessions of Alejandra Kim. Um, and it's about the Korean Argentine American experience and something that I think so many of us dear Asian girls suffer from which is imposter syndrome so um own yourself and be proud want more of dear Asian girl you can find us everywhere on apple podcast spotify and anchor we're on everything can't get enough? Subscribe, follow, rate, review to get all the updates on the latest at DAG. Let us know your feedback and what we can do to improve. We also can be found on Instagram. Follow us at Dear Asian Girl to receive updates about our latest episodes and fun facts about the host. We'd love for you to reach out. DAG Dear Asian Girl, a podcast dedicated to share the stories of Asian girls everywhere. For the Asian Girl, by the Asian Girl.